0: This is the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is
1: why each one of us are here.
0: And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and thank you for joining me as always. Another week of college football and the NFL has just finished up late Tuesday night and Here, Saturday, Sunday, we are going to break down everything that happened this past weekend from the NFL rookies to the collegiate prospects who are draft eligible. Take a look at some underclassmen in the Devi slant. So We will break it all down for you here with week 13 of the NFL season in the books, week 14 of the college football season in the books, and there is a lot to digest like there is each and every single week. So let's get right into it. Let's kick it off with the NFL Draft Report for Week 14. I want to start the quarterback position. And, you know, Justin Fields this past week, 17 of 24, 199 yards, two touchdowns, also over 100 yards rushing and two touchdowns. And, again, I bring him up because – there seems to be a little bit of discussion out there in draft Twitter. And I talked about it last week, you know, when I mentioned, you know, Dane Brugler's uh, first mock draft for the athletic, you know, that it seems to be for some people, the gap between Zach Wilson and Justin Fields to be QB two is closing. And I just still have a hard time with that. I know Zach Wilson has had a fantastic year, but, Justin Fields is having a fantastic year as well. I know Ohio State, you know, hasn't played as many games. They got a late start, you know, in the conference. You know, this upcoming game, I think it's, it was against Michigan, was postponed, or we'll see if they reschedule that. But when you look at Justin Fields, this is a guy who had a super high pedigree. This is a guy who the. Margin of difference between him and Trevor Lawrence coming out of high school was minute. Matt's been on record here at Saturday to Sunday saying he slightly preferred Justin Fields, but it was basically a one a one b thing. You know, he obviously got a little bit of a later start in college playing because you know he, he sat there. Georgia didn't really play that year. Then you know he transferred to Ohio State where he's played the last two years now. But he is fits the profile of what the NFL wants from a modern day quarterback. You know, the athleticism combined with the arm talent, the the ability to solve problems with his arm and his legs, the ability to play from inside the pocket, but also pl- make plays outside the pocket, buying time with his legs, but still keeping his eyes downfield the road of football, the arm talent to push the ball to all levels of the field. He is the prototype, you know, and you could say the same thing about Trevor Lawrence because Trevor Lawrence is very athletic too and can do the same things. So I think Zach Wilson is a good prospect. There's a lot to like about his game, but you know, his athleticism, I would classify more as average. I know he's had some touchdowns and like that, but I don't think, I don't think Zach Wilson's going to be a guy who's going to do a lot at the NFL level in terms of his athleticism. I think, you know, I think Justin Fields, it can be a significant weapon that, you know, just adds to his overall package. And I have a hard time thinking NFL teams are going to look at their background, their pedigree, you know, the athleticism. I think Zach Wilson's a good prospect. I think Justin Fields has a way better arm in terms of velocity and strength. I think Zach Wilson is a guy who is very good in the short to intermediate range. He can push the ball vertically, but I don't think that's his calling card. I think, you know, I don't know. I haven't seen a lot in college of him putting in really tight windows and putting a lot of velocity on it to do it. Doesn't mean he necessarily can't be adequate at it at the NFL level. I think he could, but I just think Justin Fields checks off so many more boxes from the from better athleticism to better arm talent to better pedigree, you know, I, better competition he's faced. That every time I watch Justin Fields, I walk away thinking he's closer to Trevor Lawrence, I think, than Zach Wilson should be in terms of uh, how close he is to Justin Fields. So I think the conversation should be more Zach Wilson and Trey Lance. And at this point, I guess, you know, it seems the consensus is more towards Zach Wilson. I, I still, Honestly, prefer Trey Lance right now. Again, I understand that this lost year really hurts uh, Trey Lance, but I think he also has that profile of that athleticism, the arm talent uh, that I think fits the the mold of what NFL teams want right now. So, you know, I, I think that I think that should be more of a conversation. Are you know, are we definitively sold on? Lance being four and Wilson being three, I have it flip flop. So I guess I'm right now in the minority. I think that's more of the question that I think that's more of what the question should be rather than should Zach Wilson be pushing Justin Fields for the number two spot. But, you know, we'll see a lot of time for this to play out. Uh, these things tend to have ebb and flows up and down. So we'll see what happens before uh draft weekend, you know, in April 20th, 21 long way off. Uh, Mac Jones continues to just put up a monster statistical year 385 yards, four touchdowns, you know, a lot of buzz growing that he's going to push into round one. I think he is more of a day two guy. I could get a team late in round one, maybe a good team that, you know, that likes him and wants to have him sit a year or two. Uh, I just think he doesn't fit the prototype. I think traditional pocket passing quarterbacks are kind of going by the wayside in the NFL. So I'm still not a hundred percent sold that he goes round one. I understand that's the buzz, but I mean, if you think about it, Drew Locke was supposed to go round one for basically most of his, you know, final season in college. And then especially in the pre-draft process, it looked like he was a lock to go round one. For the longest time, Jared Stidham was going round one, and then, you know, obviously his final co- collegiate season, you know, didn't live up to expectations. But on natural talent and stuff like that, he didn't. Dwayne Haskins was supposed to be a top five, top six pick. He wasn't. He fell to the middle of round one. Whether that was character, attitude, personality, or maybe it was it was a part of lack of athleticism, lack of mobility, uh, not being able to really play you know, off structure, off script, he was, you know, he just got to sit back there basically and and pick defenses apart and usually had guys wide open at Ohio State. So for whatever it is, I mean, Mac Jones has a lot in his favor at Alabama. You know, he he's not pressured that much. He has wide open passing lanes. Guys are wide open. He has star-studded receivers, you know, obviously started the year with Bottle and Devonta Smith and good underclassmen as well. Obviously he's lost you know, Jalen Waddle did injury, but Devonta Smith still fantastic. Good offensive line, great running game, good underclassmen wide receivers. So it is a lot that he has in his favor to put up these monster statistical stats. I all I can say is I would be leery. You know, if the Giants were in the market for a quarterback, I'm not sure I'd want Mac Jones. And you know, some people might say that's foolish. I I just think where the NFL is trending offensive line play continues to deteriorate throughout the league. I want a quarterback and I think NFL, I think more teams than not in the NFL want quarterbacks that can really do things with their legs and not just picking up yards, but more just moving around the pocket buying time. And I think Mac Jones is more of a traditional old school pocket passing quarterback. And I think that's, you know, up for debate in terms of the value that is put on that right now. Uh Ian Book, I mentioned last week, another good game, 285 yards and three touchdowns. Uh Another guy who I mentioned in the past, I think is a late round prospect, priority free agent, you know, Colt McCoy just won a game for the Giants this week. I think he's the type of player that that's who uh Ian Book can be at the next level. So I think, you know, I think Ian Book's got a future in the NFL, but I think it's going to be more as that backup game manager, third string quarterback, maybe work his way to be a backup. Uh De'Ara King out of Miami, I think is interesting. Mm-hmm. You know, he's been a guy that we've always been fans of here at Saturday to Sunday. And once upon a time, I don't think the door was ever open for him to play quarterback, but I think it's a different world that we live in now. Different, all different, you know shapes and size quarterbacks i don't think the size thing that barrier has been broken whether it's russell wilson whether it's kyler murray baker mayfield you know that's not an issue anymore and king solves problems in a variety of ways he can win with his arm he can win with his leg you know we we saw jalen hurts go from what many thought was a non-draftable quarterback last year and then maybe a position switch to developing into a better all-around quarterback at Oklahoma and then going in the second round. And then now he's going to get an opportunity to be a starter in his rookie year down the stretch here. So I don't think King's going to go on day two, but I do think there's going to be a team on day three that is intrigued by him and whether they bring him in and say, okay, we'll see, maybe he could be a quarterback. If that doesn't work out, he can think about a positional switch, but I now think he's in the mix to be a dappery guy and a team's going to give him a shot as a quarterback first before maybe, you know, doing something different with him. So I think King's an interesting guy. I can see teams, you know, listen, and maybe it's got to be a team that, you know, has a starter that is similar in terms of the play style, whether that would be Baltimore, whether that would be, you know, Arizona, like, you know, you, you think of, Teams that, you know, do a lot of read option stuff, a lot of quarterback runs. Obviously that would be right in King's wheelhouse. So, you know, maybe a team like that is looking for a guy who could be a backup. And if it's not them, maybe another team just wants something different. So if the backup has to come in, it's a different look than the starting look, you know, you know, at NFL coaches like having that. You know uniqueness factor and that you know uncertainty so they might look at a guy like King and be like listen if we we have him to come in he could really be a change to what defenses have been game planning all week and maybe he's the guy that can come in and steal a play and then you could also do different things with him different packages you know and get something out of your third string quarterback to start or backup quarterback uh so I think King's interesting and he's a guy that I'm gonna be really fascinated to kind of see I don't think we've heard much you know about his draft stock in terms of what the NFL thinks of him is he a draftable quarterback prospect is he like a slash offensive weapon you know is he a late you know seventh round draft pick priority free agent or has he got a legitimate chance to go in that like four to six range. So I think those are interesting storylines from the quarterbacks. The running back position, only a couple of things I wrote down. Najee Harris continues to do what he does. 145 yards and three touchdowns. It's gonna to be interesting about Najee Harris because, you know, maybe it's late round one in the 20 to 32 range. Maybe it's early round two. Uh you know, the impact that he could have, I was I was talking uh with a friend off air today and he mentioned, you know, he's a Steelers fan and he mentioned, you know, Najee Harris to the Steelers. And, you know, James Conner's probably not going to be there. I don't think Benny Snell is a starting running back in the NFL. I think Anthony McFarland is a change of pace guy. Steelers, you know, don't have a lot of weaknesses. You know, obviously they gotta decide what they're gonna do with the quarterback position down the line, but picking at the end of the first round, I don't think they're gonna be thinking that they're gonna get their future starting quarterback that way. So they have a lot of young wide receivers and they've done very well picking wide receivers on day two, you know? So even if they lose Juju Smith, they still got chase Claypool. They still got Deontay Johnson. They still got James Washington. You know, their offensive line is good. Their defense has lots of players. Obviously right now they've lost a bunch to injury. They might be one of those unique teams that can take a running back in round one. And, you know, and that might be right in the wheelhouse for Najee Harris late round one. So that would be an interesting fit. Uh, he would bring a lot to that team in terms of his receiving capabilities out of backfield, in terms of his rushing ability, his ability to pr- be pretty much functional uh, in all types of running schemes. He can run inside power, he can run in zone, he can run outside, he can be a receiver out of backfield. Very versatile player for a guy his size with his athleticism. Trey Sermon, you know, obviously formerly of Oklahoma. Uh, you know, interesting to see him, you know, really perform well this week at Ohio State. Master Teague has been out producing him this year, but Trey Sermon was a guy I liked when I watched him, you know, you know, before last college football season, you know, he was a guy that, that piqued my interest. And, you know, I think he's a day three type guy, but Sermon is a guy who I think has skill, who physical, tough interior runner runs hard. Uh, He's a guy that, could work his way to be a solid backup running back, lesser part of a committee. You know, there's, there's roles at the NFL for guys like Trey Sermon. So it's nice to see him have a good week this past week. If we take it to the tight end position, you know, Kyle Pitts, you know, was talking to uh, Brandon Jones, who, if you've been listening to Saturday to Sunday from the beginning, uh, he was a, uh, he did some podcasts with us. And, you know, did some stuff here at Saturday, Sunday with us early on. And we were talking off air and we were saying that Pitts is arguably in our lifetime, the best receiving prospect that we've seen come out of the draft. That doesn't mean he's going to be the best receiving prospect of all time. You know what I mean? There's so many things that go into that. The odds that he has a Travis Kelsey or Gronkowski or Tony Gonzalez or pick another, you know, elite, elite Hall of Fame type end type talent. Those guys are complete tight ends. But if we're just talking about pure pass catching ability, you know, I've been doing Saturday, Sunday for five years. I've been a fan of the draft, you know, for almost 30s, you know, something. And I don't remember there being a tight end prospect with his receiving capabilities at the level it is, you know. So he is a rare, rare. Prospect at the tight end position in terms of his pass catching ability. This past week, seven catches, 128 yards. I mean, that's just ho hum for him. That's like a normal week now for Kyle Pitts, whether it's a hundred yards, whether it's multiple touchdowns, whatever it is, it's week in and week out. I've said it all year. He's a more athletic, more athletic, higher upside Darren Waller. And I mean, we just saw Darren Waller put up one of the best tight end performances in the history of the NFL this past Sunday. You know, so that's not a, you know, no one should take that comp comp and look at it as a knock. Darren Waller turned himself into one of the top pass-catching tight ends in all of the NFL, and I think the ceiling for Pitts is, is that plus higher. You know, so very interested to see how high he pushes. Does he get into the top 10? You know, a lot of quarterbacks could push him down the board and what I mean by down the board, I mean at a top 10 and maybe into that, you know, 11 to 16 range or 11 to 20 range, you know. But I think he's worthy of a top 10 pick. Brevin Jordan, four catches, 75 yards, and a touchdown this week. You know, Brevin Jordan's kind of gotten a little bit, I think, uh, forgotten because of all the attention to Kyle Pitts and then Pat Fryermoot kind of does. You know, he's more of the complete package, but Brevin Jordan, you know, basically is another pass catching athletic tight end. He doesn't, he's not on the level of Kyle Pitts. He has another production of Kyle Pitts, but this is a guy who's going to go on day two. I, I, I would almost bet locking in round two, and you might even see some round one buzz by the time the draft rolls around because of the difference maker he can be. So this tight end class, man, with those three guys at the top, you know, we're probably going to see three in the first 50 picks, I would think. And then maybe two in round one, maybe one as high as the top 10 or top 12. So really strong at the top of the tight end class. Take this to the wide receivers. I already talked about Devonta Smith before. I mean, his year, man, just eight catches, 231 yards, and three touchdowns. You know, Just week in and week out, answering the bell. His route running, his ball skills, his separation quickness. He puts it on, you know, he shows it week in. And week out, just continuing to dominate, even with the attention defenses could have put on him since Jalen Waddell has been injured. Hasn't mattered. He just keeps doing uh, what he's been doing. Chris Olave for Ohio State, 10 catches, 139 yards and a touchdown this week. One of the better pure route runners in this draft class. You can make the case he's got some Keenan Allen to his game, inside-outside versatility. But, you know, you're going to see Olave – If if people do, you know, some rankings and say best pure route runner in this draft class, you're going to see Olave in people's top three or top four, you know, and and you can make the case that he's he's right up there with the Devonta Smiths, the Jamar Chases, you know, in terms of his route running acumen, you know. So Olave is a guy who I think he's plug and play. I think he's a guy who's going to go on day two and make it be an immediate player at the next level due to that route running ability. Uh, Daz Newsome, we've talked about him a lot. You know, he's a slot exclusive guy, a uh, slot exclusive guy, dape but again, he's got some juice to his game, that ability to get vertical. Uh, you know, that speed that, that he can provide. I mean, we just saw Kiki Kuti this week, uh, have one of his best, probably his best, uh, game in his career finally getting a real opportunity I know he had a couple big games you know 10 catch game I think in the playoffs once and another a uh, good game I think once in the regular season but this past game we saw him getting deep a little bit and not just you know being a guy who's catching five to ten yard passes out of the slot I think Newsom has that type of skill set in his game that he can get vertical so he's an interesting day three slot receiver uh Guy, we haven't talked about Notre Dame, Javon McKinley, 6'2", 215 pounds, seven catches, hundred and eleven yards, and three touchdowns. And I'm not saying he's even remotely on the level of a Chase Claypool or Miles Boykin, but we got to take guys seriously from Notre Dame that maybe, you know, don't garner as much of attention as they should. You know, what just based on the way they play and and the offense, and at times. You know, Ian Book, I think, you know, limits, you know, the passing game a little bit, even though he puts up good statistics. So McKinley's a guy who I want to get some eyes on in terms of more just pure film watching rather than just watching, you know, him on the broadcast coverage, you know, on, on a Saturday, you know, but McKinley's got good size, good frame, good catch radius and length. You know, he's had some good performances. So he's a guy who I'm interested to kind of take a little bit of a closer look. Uh, to to see what I think about McKinley, Kadarius Tony and and Trevon Grimes out of Florida. You know, Grimes is the guy who Matt was talking about a couple weeks ago when he joined me for you know episode four hundred. And he's a guy that you know he's high on Grimes. He thinks he's an intriguing Dave prospect, and and I agree with him completely. This past week, six catches, fifty five yards, and two touchdowns. You know, he always was a guy that, you know, had a reputation, you know, and people thought he was going to be a big time player, took him a little bit of time to, to finally, you know, find his role. But this year has been a really strong year for Grimes. And then his teammate, Kadarius Toney, you know, it catches 108 yards and one touchdown, Tony is a little bit of the modern day wide receiver that I think teams are looking for. They're looking for those guys that can do the jet sweeps, can do the shadow passes too, can do, you know, end the rounds, can screen passes, get them the ball in space. You know, every team is looking for somebody that they can do those types of things. You know, so Tony's maybe not the traditional you know, wide receiver, but he fits what NFL teams are looking for in terms of their number two or their number three wide receiver. You know, he can do things that, uh, that Adibo Samuel is asked to do that at times we've seen LaVisca Chenault be asked to do this year. You know, Tony has that in his arsenal of weapons. Amon Ross St. Brown, another favorite of Matt's here, seven catches, 65 yards, and four touchdowns. To me, Amon Ross St. Brown and Chris Olave are basically you know, they should be almost side by side in a lot of people's rankings. I think they're really good route runners. I think they're both day two prospects, and they are guys that are plug and play. They are ready to step in and I think make an impact at the NFL level. So there it is, guys. The NFL draft report for week 14 hit upon some quarterbacks, some running backs, a couple tight ends, handful of wide receivers as well. Uh every week I feel like I'm kind of amazed at the depth of guys that at times I go into when I do the NFL draft report, obviously some guys are, you know, talked about almost every single week, but I do really feel like it is a very deep and strong class. Uh, it kind of gets me excited for the pre-draft months in terms of preparing for the 2021 NFL draft. If we take this to the Devi slant for this past week, a lot of guys stood out. I'm going to start at a position that we don't usually spend a lot of time on when we're talking about the Debbie slant, and that's a tight end position because there's a handful of tight ends that in your Debbie leagues who are underclassmen who you need to have on your radar, Uh Jalen Weidemeyer out of Texas A&M, nine catches, 89 yards, and two touchdowns this past week. You know, he's a guy that just continues to move up the ranks. Uh, you know, Baylor Cup – was the guy who I felt like was the hot tight end name there for, for a while in the Debbie community. But now I think Jalen Weidermeyer, you know, I have him up in now sixth in my Debbie tight end ranks. Uh, he's going to be draft eligible next year. And, you know, once we get rid of Pitts, Fryer, Moot and Jordan, you know, I think you're talking about next year, you know, Weidermeyer being one of the top prospects at the tight end position, who's draft eligible next year. Uh, so he's a new name that we haven't talked about much. If we talk about, You know, another guy, underclassman Michael Mayer out of Notre Dame. I think he's the next big time tight end prospect out of Notre Dame. They have always been really good at producing tight ends. Uh, I think Meyer is the next one. And then Sam Laporta out of Iowa. You know, he's put together this past week uh, four catches, 57 yards, and one touchdown. But if you take a look at his game log, it's been really impressive for a young tight end. 6'4", 246, really good athleticism. We've seen Iowa produce tight ends for the NFL game, you know, from Kittle to Fan to Hawkinson, you know. So Laporta is going to be a guy that I think's going to start garnering some more attention uh, to be talked about. So he's he's another guy. Get him on your dynasty. Uh, get him on your Debbie teams now just kind of, you know, if it's a deep devy, I should say, and and just kind of stash him away because he's an interesting uh, prospect that I think next year uh, you're going to start hearing a lot more about his name. And I think him and and Jalen Weidermeyer, they're going to be a a couple of the top tight end prospects that we're talking about next year. Remember, we also got Grand Calcutta back next year. Uh, who is unretired and is in the transfer portal as well. And then the following year, the freshman tight end group this year, you know, that's going to be a special class with Gilbert and, and Meyer, uh, really leading the charge there. If we go to the wide receiver position, uh, I want to bring up Wendell Robinson. I talked about him last week in the tail of the tape, you know, very much an offensive weapon, you know, 5'10, 190 pounds, can do things out of the backfield. Receiver this past week, nine catches, 114 yards. Those offensive weapon type players are now at a max level premium at the NFL level. Teams want them. You know, they need they feel like it adds a, a different wrinkle to their offense. It feels like it opens up the playbook. So a guy like Robinson, you could do a lot of different things with it. I think when when he's draft eligible, it's gonna be really intriguing to NFL teams. Uh David Bell just continues to do what he does, 10 catches, 132 yards, and one touchdown. He, right now, is my number one underclassman wide receiver, followed by Garrett Wilson and George Pickens. Garrett Wilson, three catches, 59 yards this week, and another touchdown. Again, both of those guys, Bell and Wilson, I think, have have kind of, to me, solidified them as the one-two right now in terms of underclassman wide receivers. And then you have George Pickens after him out of Georgia. The running backs, guys, I don't remember ever – being this excited about groups of underclassmen running backs as they am right now. And it's sophomores, it's freshmen. I mean, B. John Robinson this week out of Texas, nine carries, 172 yards and four touchdowns, 51 yards rushing as well. I mean, him, Tank Bigsby out of Auburn those two guys, if they were draft eligible right now, I think I, I think I saw um, a man, Ray Garvin, you know, friend of the show. We've had him on the show, talked to him all the time on, on, you know, we've had conversations back and forth on Twitter. He said something. I think that if Tank was in this draft class right now, you know, he would be his RB three after Harris and, and Etienne. And I, I don't disagree with that. I think B. John Robinson, same thing. I think, you know, I think that's how talented these two freshman running backs are. That they would be basically the number three and number four running backs in this draft class if they were draft eligible. Uh and then that and then that's skipping right over to sophomores for a second. You know, Brees Hall, ninety-seven yards and a touchdown on the ground, fifty-six yards receiving and another touchdown. Isaiah Spiller you know another good week Uh, Kyron Williams from Notre Dame just continues to look impressive you know I didn't even get you know this week I didn't even have to bring up Jerry Neely but I mean the sophomore and freshman running backs look like we are going to have a plethora of top level type running backs and you know it it's gonna be a, another resurgence of the running back position. And again, sometimes these guys are gonna go all round one. Some of them are gonna go day two. You know, we just saw this past draft class, you know, how many guys went on day two. And I think, you know, that's just kind of the, the positional value, you know, topic at hand. So, but teams are gonna be able to get good, good starting running backs you know, in rounds two of drafts, you know, maybe not this year, but the the following years after it, you know, which makes veteran running backs, running backs that are coming up on their, you know, their second contract, you know, it's going to be interesting for these NFL teams when they could see, you know, when they can get guys on day two with the amount of upside that these guys have. And then you could always find guys even later or, or UDFA, you know, guy like James Robinson is showing that. So the running back position I think is going to be, something that a lot of guys that need to be on your radar for your devvy leagues could be impactful players uh, when they get to the NFL. And I can't say enough about the, the freshman guys because you know, I haven't been this excited for freshman running backs in a while and B. John Robinson and tank Bigsby have me excited quarterback position, Sam Howell, 287 yards, two touchdowns only three incompletes this week. Uh, Keaton Slovis at USC, 25 of 32, 287 yards and five touchdowns. I think those two are probably QB one and, and QB two in next year's draft class. You know, if we're if we're really trying to project far out, uh, obviously it's Spencer Rattler to that mix as well. Uh, but I think Slovis and Howell, uh, right now, could be considered the top two quarterbacks. You know, right now in terms of the 2022. Uh, NFL draft class both of them looked good this past weekend as well if we take this to detail of the tape taking a look at this upcoming week of games in terms of prospects players that I'm looking forward to watching uh, Minnesota Nebraska will be on my radar obviously on the Minnesota side you know Rashad Bateman Uh, Tanner Morgan at the quarterback position. Nebraska, I already talked about him before. Wendell Robinson uh, will be watching to see the impact that he can make. Uh, Georgia, Missouri. I mentioned George Pickens before. Zamir White. Those are the top two guys I'll be watching in that game. Alabama versus Arkansas. Obviously, the trio of big guys. Mac Jones, Najee Harris, Devonta Smith. Purdue, Indiana. On the Purdue side, it's all about their wide receivers. uh, David Bell. Uh, and Rondell Moore, UNC Miami for UNC be watching Sam Howell in this game and the wide receivers Deami Brown and Daz Newsom for Miami, the King and, and Brevin Jordan. Uh, Really interested to see how King looks in this game. Can Miami, you know, put up a lot of points as well? I'm sure UNC will have a productive game and offensively, but that game could be a lot of fun to watch. Both those quarterbacks. You got Jordan on Miami. You got the wide receivers for UNC. That game could be a fun one with a lot of offensive fireworks. LSU Florida on the LSU side, Terrace Marshall. Uh, on the Florida side, I already talked about the wide receivers, Kadarius Tony, you know, Trayvon Grimes, Kyle Trask. You know, he's another guy. I think the conversation between Kyle Trask and Mac Jones should be a real one in terms of who QB five is, uh, for this upcoming draft class. USC, UCLA. Uh, keep an eye on Demetric Felton. He is the running back slash wide receiver slash offensive weapon for UCLA. And then I already talked about Slovis for USC. I already talked about Amon Ross, St. Brown. Keep an eye on Tyler Vaughn as well. Another wide receiver that I think you know could be a tape for redraft eligible guy as well. So that's those are the kind of things that I'll be looking for uh, for Week 15 in terms of. Detail of the tape, and let's close out the night with the NFL rookie report for Week 13. Uh, Let's start the quarterback position, and I alluded to it before, but Jalen Hurts uh, relieves a lackluster Carson Wentz. This has been weeks in the making uh, due to Carson Wentz's poor play. Jalen Hurts comes in, kind of sparks the offense a little bit, get him back in the game before Green Bay. You know, you know. Uh, finished it off late, five of 12, yards, one touchdown, uh, five carries for 29 yards on the ground. Uh, Peterson named him the starter this week. Uh, so I think it's going to be fun to kind of watch Jalen Hurts. You know, most people probably invested in him in their rookie draft. You know, obviously super flex, they for sure did probably even, you know, earlier than people might think regular draft people probably, you know, started looking at him as a stash and maybe round 3 round 4 somewhere there depending on how deep rosters are. So I think it's going to be really interesting. I I kind of hope they give him the rest of the season and we get a, a little bit of a feel for for his passing ability, you know, at the NFL level cuz I think that's the question mark. We know his intangibles, we know his toughness, we know his athleticism, we know his rushing ability. We know his ability to play off structure when the play breaks down, throwing on the run. But I mean, for, for Hertz, it was always going to be about can he win from inside the pocket? Can he go through his progressions? Can he make the right reads? Can he go the decision making, you know, reading coverages, all that stuff that the NFL was going to throw at him. How could he respond to that? So I think that. You know, you need a little bit of a larger sample size because he needs an opportunity after a game or two to make adjustments as well. So I'm excited to kind of see Hertz play. I hope they give him the rest of the year. Uh, Tua re, uh, rejoined the starting lineup for the Dolphins. was 26 of 39, 296 yards and a touchdown. Listen, I still think Tua is going to be a very good real-life quarterback. But I do think there are some legitimate questions about upside for fantasy. We've already talked about this misconception that people, that some people in the fantasy community, look at him as a runner. He's not a runner. He's not a guy who's going to be what they call the cheat code. So he's going to have to win from the pocket and and put up big statistical production in order to be a slam dunk QB one week in and week out. And I think we're a little bit of ways off of that from happening. So I'm not opposed to selling to if you drafted him last year, if he looks good down the stretch here a little bit and, and someone's willing to overpay uh, for him, I'm not a hundred percent opposed to potentially trading him because I do think for fantasy, the upside might be a little bit not as high as we may think uh, long-term. You know, speaking of a guy who I do think ceiling is high, that's Justin Herbert. I know he have had his worst game of his young career, Uh, You know, Patriots won 45, nothing. I had a lot of concerns about this game going in that Belichick was going to throw a lot at Justin Herbert to really try to confuse him. That's exactly what happened. You know, only 209 yards with 53 pass attempts, you know, two interceptions. So worst game of Herbert's career. I expect him to bounce back uh, this week, but, uh, you know, young quarterbacks will have those type of growing pains, but I just think the upside in the ceiling right now on Herbert is is much higher, uh, than two at the moment. Uh, so I have adjusted accordingly in the ranks. At the running back position, a lot of the top running backs, uh, didn't play for a variety of uh, reasons. Antonio Gibson got injured on the second carry of the game, a toe injury that could linger and potentially cost him games or the rest of the the season. Clyde Everett's Elaire was sick all last week, was active on game day, but basically just stood on the sidelines in a parka. Uh, he did not, uh, he was just an emergency guy. We've talked about, you know, Elaire and, you know, buying low on him if their owner is frustrated at the end of the year, uh, but at the same time understand that Kansas City might always want a second guy, you know, heavily involved. They trust Darrell Williams a lot. They brought in Le'Veon Bell. Next year, you know, you'd expect Damien Williams to be back as well. Uh, you know, so there's a lot of layers there in the Elaire uh discussion. DeAndre Swift didn't play. He had missed the game before due to a concussion. Then he got cleared. And then it sounds like there were symptoms again. So a lot of the top running backs didn't play. Cam Akers, though, he's probably the story of the week. 21 carries, 72 yards. Uh, he looked like he's starting to seize control of that backfield. As I'm recording this, uh, J.K. Dobbins just finished up, you know, on that Tuesday night game. And then, you know, he looked really good. You can tell that he's starting to work in. I mean, the Baltimore run game tonight was fantastic. You know, Gus Edwards went over a hundred yards on seven carries, but it was Dobbins with eleven carries. So he had four more carries than Gus Edwards, five more carries than Mark Ingram. You know, six point five yards per carry. You know, J.K. Dobbins is slowly seizing lead work in that backfield in terms of getting the most. Touches week in and week out, I think. And that's going to, I think, how it's going to be down the stretch. And if they make the playoffs in the playoffs, he's a guy who I've said throughout the year, aggressively go and get. I think J.K. Dobbins might have the highest ceiling of any of those young running backs. And I think DeAndre Swift might be second. And it's kind of funny that I think it's going back that way. Those are my top two running backs that I liked in this draft class based on talent alone. And then again, we kind of rank. Running backs post draft a lot on opportunity because we want value in that year one because running backs lifespan is so short. so immediate opportunity landing spot, it's kind of how the post rankings go, and that's why Elaireir was one for me. uh Jonathan Taylor was two, but it wasn't a wide gap. I was you know it was very close then to having j k. Dobbins too, but I went with Taylor. I thought more media production. Uh, better team in terms of the offensive, better, I should say, better offensive line and mindset of they want to be a run dominated team with their running backs. And there being some concerns about JK Dobbins in terms of Lamar Jackson stealing work, multiple guys in the backfield. Would it, would he seize control by year two? I think those were all legitimate questions, but it's kind of funny that now as the years gone on, I think the natural talent of DeAndre Swift, the natural talent of JK Dobbins. I think we've seen more of that natural talent from those guys than the other two running backs. When I watch Jonathan Taylor, I still see someone who's lacking a lot of decisiveness and having some vision issues. And those are things he's going to have to clean up. And then that's not even on top of the lack of receiving production. Obviously, Jonathan Taylor this week did catch a pass. He caught three passes, 44 yards and a touchdown, 13 carries, 91 yards. So good performance this week. But if you're talking more long term, which is what I usually do this segment for, I would be rather I'd much rather prefer trying to get my hands on Dobbins or Swift over Taylor. And I think that you could start to make the case that you know, the gap that Edwards Hilaire had on these other guys due to the situation in Kansas City and being attached to the hip to Patrick Mahomes, I think that's starting to fade a little bit. I, I do think the gap is really starting to become very narrow. And as the rest of this year plays out, I'm not sure post uh, post regular season when I do one final rankings, I'm not sure Hilaire is going to be the guy I have first at the running back position. I could see it being Dobbins. I can see it being DeAndre Swift. You know, I think Antonio Gibson is very much going to be in the mix. So, you know, it's an interesting group of running backs from this past year. I think the rankings are going to just kind of ebb and flow and change a lot based on week to week because that's kind of how we value running backs. Uh, But, you know, for now, I think the guys I'm most intrigued with would be Dobbins and Swift. Uh, Long term, James Robinson. You know, I know I keep telling you to, to sell him and trade him, and all he keeps doing is seeing 24 touches a game or more this past week 78 yards rushing and a touchdown, six catches, 30 yards. Uh, you know, listen, If if I knew for the next two or three years he was going to get this type of workload and touch and usage, well, then he should be right up there, maybe at the top of the running back <laughs> rankings in terms of. You know, last year's draft class, but I just don't know if that's going to be the case moving forward. So that's my little bit of a reservation uh, there. If we take this to the wide receiver position, I want to talk about uh, to start three names that I think need to be on your radar, especially in deep dynasty leagues. Uh, it's possible that depending on the size of your league, you know, these guys you know, may not even be on a team or if they are, they're probably on a taxi squad or deep, but Colin Johnson, I know Matt was a fan of his. He was talking about him on Twitter a bunch before he got his opportunity recently, you know, another four catches this week, 66 yards, but I think you're starting to see him make some plays that you kind of wonder, is there an opportunity next year for him to maybe be that third wide receiver on that team after DJ Chark, after LaVisca Chenault. And I think the answer to that question is he could definitely make a move if he shows uh, continues to show off because I don't think there's anyone else there locked in. So I think he's an interesting deep uh, dynasty uh, stash if if he's available on waivers or you can get him for the cheap. Uh, Darnell Mooney and Quintus Cephas are two names that I wanted to bring up. And the reason why I want to bring up both of them kind of ties directly into their, the top wide receiver at each of those spots, Allen Robinson and Kenny Galladay, you know, both of them are free agents. There was some whispers that the lions were taking calls around the trade deadline for Galladay. There's been a lot of discussion about Alan Robinson once out and has made his, made that known, you know, publicly on Twitter. Uh, I know, you know, someone who follows the giants. I know the giants, you know, were kind of uh, lukewarm attached to both of them during the season. There were, there was rumors that the giants, I don't know if the giants called the lions or the lions called the giants and had, you know, maybe a conversation at the deadline about Kenny Galladay. There's been stuff that Allen Robinson would like to play in New York. And there's been some, you know, rumblings about that. So I think that, I think there's a legitimate possibility that both of these wide receivers are not on their teams next year. And if that's the case, then guys like Quintus Cephas and, uh, you know, they Mooney become more interesting than they already are. So I think those are the perfect guys to try to almost kind of get a head start. I wouldn't Aggressively go get them, but if your trading window either is still open or opens right after the season before NFL free agency, those are two guys that I think I'd be very intrigued with trying to get them for cheap and then kind of see what happens with Kenny Galladay and Alan Robinson. Because if they were to move on, it could really open the door for either one of these guys. And also let's not, let's not pretend that's the only way that these guys can be valuable and viable, you know, Marvin Jones is not going to be back with the lions next year. So even if they were to resign Kenny Galladay, there's still a gaping number two job. there open that who's to say Quintus Cephas couldn't develop. And in Chicago, I mean, they kind of have pigeonholed Anthony Miller to be their slot guy. Darnell Mooney's played a lot, you know, in terms of the outside. So, you know, different scheme, upgrade the quarterback position at some point, maybe more than Allen Robinson could be more viable and Mooney could develop that way as well. So a couple of different paths there for both of those guys, get them on your dynasty team. Now Uh I mentioned LaVisca Chenault before he had a fluky touchdown this week, Uh, you know, getting a deflection that w- went off a defender and then just kind of came right to him in the end zone. But you know, the usage in terms of the Russian receiving, he had two carries for 30 yards this week, you know, and then obviously we know what he can do as a receiver. But again, I will continue to say he's Debo Samuel 2.0. The way that the 49ers want to use Debo Samuel is how Jacksonville should be using LaVisca Chenault. If they move on from Doug Marone, I really hope they get a creative mind in there that really maximizes LaVisca Chenault. Since You know, since before the draft, I've talked about how he was going to be very scheme dependent. He needed to be in a team with a team that understood who he was and what he was right now, and utilized that while he continued to develop his overall wide receiving game. You know, so Lavisca Schunault is a guy that I'm intrigued with. I'd I'd go buy him if I could for probably an early second round rookie pick uh, with this upcoming draft class. You know, early to mid second round rookie pick. And then Henry Ruggs, obviously, if you're a football fan, you saw how the Jets game ended. Uh, Henry Ruggs is probably going to be very inconsistent down the stretch here. I think you use that to your advantage and try to buy him, you know, take away the play that just happened this past weekend. And, you know, he's still not doing a lot, but I still think it's not been a normal year. I know there's been some rookie wide receivers that have looked great. And we'll talk about one in a second, but I do think, I'd still want to be in on the Henry Ruggs business. I think he'd be a guy that I'd look to buy uh, and be excited about him. And then Justin Jefferson, I mean, I don't know what more there is to say about him. He's putting together a rookie year that is, you know, in the modern recent times. I mean, we have the Randy Moss year, we have the Odell Beckham year. You know, Justin Jefferson is on his way of, you know, being mentioned in that conversation when people say, who are some of the best rookie wide receivers and performances in the history of the NFL? And you hear, you you know Randy Moss and you know Odell Beckham Jr. and Justin Jefferson is, is pushing his way to be on that list. And I think dynasty rookie rankings. You know, if you're still you know adjusting rankings from last year's r- rookie class. He's gotta be the highest one. He's gotta be. As much as I like as much as I like CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy, and I still do, you have to acknowledge what Justin Jefferson has done. And, you know, he has shown more skill in the NFL than I think anybody imagined. He's shown big playability. He showed the ability to win in the intermediate to vertical parts of the field way more than we saw at LSU. So Justin Jefferson deserves to be the number one wide receiver in dynasty rankings from the 2020 draft class. Uh, and you know, he just continues to elevate his stock week in and week out. So there it is guys, the NFL rookie report for week 13. If you enjoyed the show guys, please get over to the website, rate and uh, Wherever you listen to your podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. But please, if you're enjoying the work that we're doing here on the podcast, what I put out there on Twitter, especially on Saturdays, uh, please get over to ssfootball.com is the quickest way to get there. Check out the premium content tab. And consider purchasing the premium notebooks for $9.99. If you've purchased them in the past, please uh, consider purchasing them again. And if you never have been a long-time listener, we hope that you consider uh, purchasing them because it is really the livelihood of what allows Matt and I to do what we do here. Uh, Everything we get from those sales goes right back into uh, the brand and getting subscriptions and stuff that we need to continue to do what we do uh, week in and week out in the notebooks. You get access to free notebooks. You immediately get the rankings notebook. It has all our different rankings, draft eligible, tiered rankings after the season, our Devi rankings, our dynasty rookie rankings. You get the scouting notebook, which has a ready 80 to 90 full detailed player profiles that I will go back and watch this year's film and make modifications and adjustments, anything I need to Uh, I will continue to add players, you know, in the closing month here of the season in January, in February, in March guys that I feel like need to be in there. If there's anybody not in the notebook that I, that I think is a top four round pick, I will work my best to try to get them in the notebook. Uh, if a guy's a potential sixth round or seventh round pick, you know, that's a little bit more for debate, uh, in terms of, you know, last minute and, you know, in the February, March range of trying to get those guys in. But if there's guys who are on that in the top 100 for sure that are missing, I don't think there will be. If there's guys that are getting early day rebuzz, you know, round four, early round five, you know, I will do my best to get those guys in the notebook completely. So you have our full thoughts on them. And then in April, you get the draft projections notebook, which has tabs for Every player, offense and defense. It has their combine measurements. It has their metric, their testing, athletic testing scores. Uh, it has notes on how they win or strengths, and then it has some notes on some developmental areas or concerning areas about the player. So, it really, this gives you a snapshot of the player. It's not a full detailed player profile or anything. It's a snapshot of the player. It's a perfect guide uh, for for draft weekend. And it's also the way I set it up is everything I'm hearing, listening, reading from all the great experts out there. I try to project how I expect it to go, not how my rankings are. You can look at that in the rankings notebook. You can see that in my thoughts on players in the scouting notebook. The draft projections notebook is all about trying to project the draft correctly in the order in which the players are taken at each position. And overall, big board with my projections for who's going to go in the top 32 picks top 100 picks and then every pick in the draft uh, have had a lot of success in that guys at, over the last couple of years. Uh, and I think it's a great resource on draft weekend. So again, please get over to the website and consider purchasing that. It really, really does help us out here tremendously. So on behalf of Matt, on behalf of our sound tech engineer, David Nakano and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.